Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover the Bachman book, The Running Man, chapters 70 to 43. Let's start the show. Narrowly escaping the hunters by sneaking through the sewers and setting a YMCA on fire, Ben Richards finds a safe harbor with an African-American family. The oldest brother, Bradley, recognizes who Richards is, but is willing to help him and educates Richards on how the network and government are using the free V to pacify the masses while they continue to make money. Bradley smuggles Richards out of Boston and helps him circumnavigate the mailings Richards is required to send. In Manchester, Richards hides out as a priest for a while until he gets a premonition he is in danger. At the next safe house, the mother of one of Bradley's friends notifies the police of Richards' location. On the run again, Richards breaks his ankle and is shot. He eventually escapes and carjacks a woman. Trying to get to an airport, Richards and his hostage are stopped at a roadblock. So, Jay, a lot happened in this section, and at the same time, things slowed down from the breakneck pace that we were at towards the end of our last reading. Mm-hmm. Once Richards escapes the YMCA and he's hanging out with Bradley and Bradley's brother and mother, there's a lot of exposition as Bradley sort of brings Richards up to speed on what's exactly happening. Yeah. And it kind of starts to draw a contrast between the things that Richards thinks he knows and the actual things going on behind the scenes, or maybe just in the larger society at a level that Richards doesn't have access to. Right. So it made me start thinking about ignorance and innocence, because we encounter certain characters like Amelia Williams and like the boy who has the the dog with him. They are the epitome of innocence. Richards even sees an expression on the boy's face that he, he can't quite place it until he realizes it's innocence. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know what innocence looks like. It's so foreign. And Amelia Williams is both innocent and ignorant of the manipulations of the larger society. She happens to be in a segment of society where her life is generally safe and comfortable, so she doesn't have a lot of reasons to question it. Whereas Richards is also very ignorant about a lot of things, but his discomfort the pain of his existence makes him want to rebel. Yeah, and you see Amelia is immediately freaked out when she meets Richards, not only because she's getting carjacked, but she recognizes who he is and has bought into the propaganda around him. And so yeah. she's fearful for her life. And the only way she knows how to deal with it is to smoke a joint and talk about her you know, rich person existence, basically. And Richards tries to wake her up and says, this isn't what life is really like. And she's like, isn't it? And, you know, the boy that you talked about who also comes across Richards, he too is the same way. Like, he doesn't believe his stories, but at the same time, he doesn't know what else to believe because he's been taught certain things by his father and and what he sees on TV. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is that the contrast is Bradley, and Bradley is not ignorant. He knows what's going on. He knows the score. He and his fellow gang members, and it's weird to call them a gang because it's so upside down. Right. Right. They operate together functionally like a business and they pool resources and their their agenda is not to 
do illegal things. It's to educate themselves. It's to get informed. It's to create technology and tools to help clean up the environment or at least monitor how bad the environment is. They're agents of good in the story, but they label themselves a gang. Yeah. And I don't know if that's King's lens kind of bleeding through here or what, but it's it's really interesting that they're sort of this upside down gang and their focus is on helping society in any way they can. And that makes Bradley the perfect person for Richards to meet in that Richards can get the education he needs so that he can carry on and carry on in a meaningful way. Yeah. And as you said, it's a nice contrast how we find out that Richards is pretty ignorant as well. So we've seen Mm -hmm. the story thus far entirely through his view. And we obviously talked about the class difference between him and the people in the city and the network. But now we see that he has been very narrow and he's had blinders on as well about things. Like he knew Mm -hmm. I'm working in an atomic plant that may cause me to go sterile and things are bad in my neighborhood, but he has no idea of how bad it is. And a big piece of that is that Bradley has educated himself and Richards has not. Richards has made a point of just saying, I'm going to stay with my family and and not worry about anything else. And Bradley is willing to go out into the bigger society and figure out what's going on and try to educate people. Yeah, we get the impression that Richards is an intelligent person, but he's uninformed. Yep. And because he hasn't worked hard to get better informed, he only really knows what he has directly observed or the propaganda that the network has fed him. Right. So even though he thinks of the network as a bad thing, and he knows that the freebie is a bad influence. It's still his only source of info. So he can just decide that's wrong. So that leaves him in this place of ignorance and just anger and rebellion. Yep. And so this is continuing the theme that King set up in the last section, where we see these corporations that are willing to do just about anything for money. We saw it in the first section with the assembly line of men who are willing to basically die on TV to make money. Mm-hmm. And thought, hey, that's pretty bad. Uh, how much worse could this society be? And then we find out, oh, no, like the the government is also polluting the world in such a way that everything is terrible and people are dying because everything is in the air. It's not just the factories where people like Richards work at that are irradiating them. But every time they're taking a breath, it is basically killing them because the pollution is so bad. And really, the corporations just don't care because... It's a way to make a buck. Yeah. It seems that human life is just irrelevant to them. It's not even that it's not worth anything. It doesn't matter. As long as there are more people out there to keep watching Freebie and buy their products and make them wealthier, we don't care if they only live 10 years or, or six years. Right. It's fine because there'll just be more poor people and more consumers, more customers. And the rich people can afford to buy things like nose filters, and other contraptions and technology to avoid the poisons in the environment. Yeah. I didn't remember, and I wasn't expecting this to be as environmental of a novel as it is. Mm-hmm. It becomes very much a a green novel when Bradley finds out everything that he's found out. And as you said, he sets up these tools to help monitor the environment. And then not only that, he, what is he, he's building air filters for his family when he can. And, you know, Ben Richards is aware they exist, but he's like, oh, they cost like $600 or $1,200. Who can mm-hmm. afford that? And, and Bradley's like, oh, no, man, they, 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 <laughs> they only cost like $2. They just don't care. They're another way of making money, right? So you could still sell the, 
it to the rich and overcharge them and be fine. And why would we make them at cost? There's no reason to. Exactly. So we kind of touched on this a little bit and like the breakdown of the environment and the manipulation of the truth of that is kind of a big part of the story too, in that it's depicting the breakdown of society itself. Mm. Like we just mentioned a second ago that the TV or the freebie is there to just keep the masses docile. And they're doing everything that you can think of. They only send information that the corporation wants people to know. When Richards posts his video recordings to show that he's still alive, they use all the technology at their disposal to edit those videos and make Richards say things he didn't actually say or put him in environments where he wasn't and do things to like photos of Richards' wife and make her into a less appealing version of her of her true self. And, and like Richards, most people's only source of info is this freebie. Mm-hmm. So it's either... You mostly ignore it and have no info, or you watch it and you get doctored info. Right. It's not doctored to the technology we have today, because when Richards finds out what is happening, he says something, well, at least I got through to the lip readers, and maybe they'll be able to tell what I'm yeah, saying, yeah. Uh, because they they obviously put different voiceovers on top of them. But all this comes down to a theme that is familiar to King, and that is the scapegoating of Richards, right? So picking that one person to scapegoat. So we talked a little bit about this in Rage, which was the novel we read just previous to this, but it's come up again and again. And we've talked about how Shirley Jackson is an influence on King and her famous scapegoating novel or short story, The Lottery. But here we get it again, where if the network can point to one person and scapegoat them to the extent that really helps to make the people feel like they're part of the winning group and on the right side. And so maybe make them forget a little bit about how bad their lives are by pointing to somebody who is is them and not part mm-hmm. of us. Yeah. And the running man is a version of a lot of things, you know, the gladiatorial things and stuff like that, but it's also maybe the ultimate scapegoat. Right. You broadcast the hunting of the single person to the whole world. And everyone else in the world is cheering for that person's capture and and death. So as long as they get that guy, they can feel like they're better than someone else. Yep. That's powerful. I mean, yeah. you, you can you can just keep people distracted from their actual problems and the actual things that they should be angry about by making them artificially angry at Richards. Yeah. And the other piece of this that is the highlighting of the police and making, you know, them look at all these young, young family men who are clean cut and and just doing their jobs and and Richards just had to wipe them out and propping them up in a in a way to make it seem that Richards is much worse than he is and he's not just trying to survive and that these people aren't really sent to to assassinate him mm-hmm. is is just another way that they're they're using the freebie to to keep the masses docile. But this is also the section, we talked a little bit about this, about how education is also limited. And we've seen this in other, you know, 1984 and Fahrenheit 451, that education is limited Mm -hmm. and especially limited for those who are poor. So there is a, to get a library card, you have to have a certain amount of income. Yeah. And, And that's the only way you can get into the library and read. And even when you get to the library, not all the books are current. So, you know, Bradley and his gang in order to get access to the library, get access to the books. What do they first, they uh, they steal a library card from some other kid. Mm-hmm. And then 
they borrow a suit that they all switch around and change. So they all borrow the same suits that they can get in the library and actually find out what the truth is. Yeah. They need to work really hard and break a bunch of laws and hurt people just to get access to a library card, which is their ticket into this source of information, which, you know, the American library system, it, it's like a, a bastion of of a free society, right? It, yep. The fact that anybody can go in there and access any of the books in the library, that's been a cornerstone of all the great civilizations of the world throughout history. The fact that this civilization has advanced, and I, maybe I shouldn't use the word advanced, but <laughs> deformed maybe to the point where only the wealthiest, most privileged people can even get into the library and none of them do is a sure sign that they're, that this whole society is is corrupt. Yep. And it's no surprise that King, as a writer, is one championing the idea of books and, and mm-hmm. a literate society. And I love that Bradley gets all these like great lines about that in this section of the book, you know, as as he's preaching to to Richards, he says, like, we've been reading that freebie shit is for empty heads. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you totally get it. And then they gave us the freebie to keep us off the street so we can breathe ourselves to death without making any trouble. How do you like that? And then later on, the freebie is killing us. It's like a magician getting you to watch the cakes falling out of his helper's blouse while he pulls rabbits out of his pants and puts them in his hat. It's like, yeah, go Bradley. I almost mm-hmm. wish like uh, we could hang out with Bradley more than Richards. Yeah, he seems like a more interesting character. <laughs> I think the final thing we should talk about in the breakdown of society is the very evident manipulation of pitting groups against one another, which is a classic scheme to keep those groups from joining together to fight their true enemy, which is the suppressive upper class. So, you know, we see one group of poor people against the other group of poor people and everybody against Richards, whereas they should all be joining forces to go against the network, right? Right. It's hinted at that early on that Killian knows that that is a possibility for Richards, right? Like, if you Mm. want to survive, hang out with your people. And Richards takes that to heart, and that's why he ends up in the places he ends up. But he knows that I may have a chance if we can band together even a little bit. And Bradley could do a lot better by turning in Richards, right? He could help his sister. He could help his mom. He could help his family by getting whatever money. But he knows that there is a bigger cause that Bradley is fighting for. And so he's willing to take in Richards and help him out and show that way of, you know, if we band together, we could be stronger. Yeah. And there is like a a mutual benefit to Richards and Bradley, right? Earlier, we said that Richards is so fortunate that he runs into Bradley because he couldn't have gone another day without that help. But where you're just saying like, oh yeah, Bradley could just turn Richards in, get lots of money solve his own problems, but Bradley's not interested in solving his own problems. He's interested in helping society. So bumping into Richards was really fortuitous for Bradley and his gang. And they're going to use the running man against itself. They're going to use the victim of the running man to, uh, I guess, forward their own causes. And that means riskier behavior, riskier decisions, but with a much bigger payoff potentially. Yep. And, you know, we talk about how Richards is intelligent, but somewhat ignorant. I, I don't know if it's falling for it, but like he laps up what Bradley's telling him right away. Mm. Like it doesn't take much. And and he says, we hear there was, there was no longer just himself, a lone man fighting for his family, bound to be cut down. 
Now there were all of them out there, strangling on their own respiration, his family included. And so it's the first time that Richards is thinking like, I could do more here. And even though he's getting cut off by the network and they're doctoring his videos, he's at least making that attempt. Yeah. All right, Jay, are there any Dark Tower thinnies in this section of The Running Man? Yeah, I think we both found a, a few. Let's see. One thing that I thought of as a thinny was that there's a moment when Richards is having a dream slash nightmare and he thinks of or has a vision of a huge police dog, a terrifying organic weapon seven feet high is chasing him. The terrifying but organic weapon that is in the shape of a dog made me think of the Guardians of the Beam. Ooh, like a... A shardic, if you will. A shard dog? Shardic yes. dog. All right. That's not too bad. Okay. How about you? There's this line. He grinned a huge white wolf grin that in itself seemed powerful enough to buckle streets and melt buildings. And I immediately pictured the illustration in the back of the drawing of the three. It's a picture of Roland with a giant grin. And as soon as I saw a huge white wolf grin, I immediately pictured that. And I'll put it in the show notes. That's a good connection. So another thingy that I found was when we were hearing about Bradley's very inexpensive nose filter, mm. he said, no, no, it's no problem. You just get an atomic nugget, an atomic slug, and they only cost a couple of bucks. An atomic slug? Huh. That's just like the power source in the way station in yeah. the gunslinger. I dig it. All right. uh, not necessarily Dark Tower, but an odd thingy is that one of the towns that Richards passes through is Derry. Mm. In fact, I think that that's where the airport that they're heading to is. And I think yeah. this is the first mention of Derry, the famous fictional town for Stephen King, but he's obviously used it many times since then. But, you know, if, if the Bachman pseudonym wasn't uncovered, I wonder what would have happened. He would have had to come up with a different fake main town to use for some of his other stories if Derry was being used in the Bachman universe. Or somebody would have figured it out a lot sooner. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, fictional main town, fictional main town. Aha. Aha, I got it. So the final thingy that I found was when Richard was talking to the boy and his dog, and Richard makes some claim that the, the boy just doesn't believe. And he says, no way. There's crazy dudes running the roads these days. And I thought, running the roads and the word dude kind of made me think of dudes named flag yeah i can see that yeah indeed all right there are a couple of yucking it up moments in this section Blah. so mine is both a yucking it up moment but also a good use of king misusing an adverb <laughs> and ben richards has barely escaped his life in escaping the ymca there's hunters that have bracketed him in the building at one point he's trapped in the sewer there's a giant explosion that threatens to burn him up while he's in the sewer. And once he gets out, Richard comments, what happens if someone flushes a John over my head? Richards wondered morbidly. And I'm like, I don't know, is having like crap fall on your head really that morbid when you've almost been killed multiple times over <laughs> by other things that are actually deadly? But it did make me think of what would happen if somebody did flush a John over your head while you're in the sewer. And that is pretty yucky. I mean... That assumes that when you flush a toilet when you're in the sewer, that it's just like a direct pipe that comes from <laughs> just, the bottom of the toilet into the 
into the sewer area. Is that not how sewer pipes works? That there's just giant holes that drop from toilets straight onto somebody's <laughs> yeah. head? I mean, and then, he, you know, he's jumping from alligator to alligator. <laughs> it, that's how it works. Yeah. It totally makes sense with how my understanding of sanitation engineering works. <laughs> <laughs> the occasional giant piranha. <laughs> It's all good. Um, the yucking it up that I had was the torture scene of Bradley. And the line that really got me was, a pin slid easily into Bradley's eyeball and was withdrawn, dribbling colorless fluid. Oh. Yeah, that's not fun at all. No, no. Which is why it's not in fun stuff. It's in yucking it up. <laughs> it's in yucking it up. <laughs> and just to be clear, that is an imagined torture scene. By Richards. Yes, we don't know if any of those things happened. Unless Richards has the shine. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Okay, well, you can support this show and get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes by becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower to learn more. And Jay, is it true that we're going to cover the Running Man movie in a future bonus episode? Yes, it is true. How on earth will people be able to listen to that? Well, they'll have to become a patron. Well, damn, I'm going to have to sign up today. Sounds like a good idea. Maybe I will too. All right. I think it's time for some fun stuff. All right. I love fun stuff. Why don't you kick us off? My first one, Bradley and Stacy, the two boys that Richards runs into, their mom is described as being very old. Richards thought he had never seen anyone as old. Hmm. And that line took me back to something that maybe Franny thought or Nick thought about Mother Abigail. They say something along those same lines, like they had thought they had never seen someone that old before, couldn't imagine someone being that old. And so, you know, it just reminded me of Mother Abigail, and I thought that that was a nice little uh, instance there. Yeah, the impossibly old person, right? Yes. So one of the things I had for fun stuff is... Apparently, in Richard's world here, in the world of the running man, there is such a thing as a Zapruder Award. <laughs> this made me chuckle because King, as always, is obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. So why wouldn't there be a Zapruder Award? Indeed. I like that the man that helps Richard's in Vermont works for a vending company, and he wears the blue and gold uniform of the Vendo Spendo Company. And I could just imagine in the future that all the stupid names of corporations would rhyme like that. Vendo spendo. <laughs> it's very on the nose for a society that wants you to spend money, like vendo spendo. Like it's focused mm. on the fact that you need to spend your money, not that you're getting anything out of it, but that we want you to spend your money on us. Mm. Would you be able to buy laundry detergent called wishy washy? <laughs> Sandals called flip flops, flippity floppies, <laughs> flippity floppies. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. So this one made me laugh because one of my oldest favorite quotes from a movie from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, Indiana Jones is using his father's Grail diary to figure out the puzzles at the end, and the first puzzle is only the penitent man shall pass. And he says it over and over again as he's puzzling it out. Only the penitent man, the penitent man, only the penitent man shall pass. So when Richards is in the sewer under the YMCA and he's contorting himself into all these uncomfortable and impossible positions to get through the drains, I kept thinking like he needs to kneel, he needs to bend, <laughs> he need only the penitent man shall pass through the drains. Only the penitent man. That's a good one. And that's Maybe from the it's only fun for me. 
No, I like it. And you said that that was from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was the last Indiana Jones movie ever made, right? That's right. Yeah. No other Indiana Jones movies ever happened after that. Yeah. Okay. That all checks out. Yeah. My last fun stuff is just what I thought was a, a great line about a dog. This is the dog that the boy has when Richards is hiking through the woods on his broken ankle. And he's at first worried that it's a police dog that's going to come and tear him apart. But instead, it's a friendly dog, and his tail flagged back and forth in vigorous semaphores of joy. Mm. And I just like that, vigorous semaphores. Like, that's just a nice metaphor for, for a dog wagging its tail. But it's even more touching in this story, a story about a horrible society from the perspective of the most downtrodden members of that society, that this dog's tail was sending signals in semaphore of joy. Yeah. And that's kind of like what makes people love dogs, right? Everything about them is just happy. Happy you're here. Happy to be here. Happy I'm with you. It's all about the joy. Yep. It's great. Yeah. Good line. Okay. That's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we finish our coverage of The Running Man, chapters 42 to 0. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. Well, that's quite the recap. Ah, uh, yeah. I'll have time for a quick nap while you're reading <laughs> Give me just a minute. Okay. At this time, Sean has left the room and is off doing something that requires a moment. His time. I was just narrating your absence. Ah. I closed a vent. Sean has now left the room again to tend to the cat. Not sure what's happening to the cat, but it was getting very loud. Now I hear the sound of perhaps a cat food can being opened. <laughs>